Hey everybody, welcome to uh, Quarantine Movie Cast. This is episode what five, Christian? We we're Some, uh, something like that, yeah. Something like that, yeah. We're we're trucking right along here. We've watched uh, we've watched a few movies each. I think twenty movies so far total. Did yeah, it's been prolific for our ability to watch a lot of movies, and so and for the most part, there haven't been too many things that one of us is like one of us has seen it and we recommended, rather than both of us having seen. It. I think there's only one case so far, right? Blood Simple. Yeah, I, I I think so, and and that'll probably change going forward. Like this doesn't have to be something to be clear where it's like something you definitely haven't seen that I'm recommending. Like I might recommend something like we were talking about Braveheart down the line, but but for now it's been God, a good yeah. yeah I know uh, it's been a good kind of uh, film education I think for the both of us. Um, yeah. You know, it's definitely forcing me to watch things that either I intended to watch or I maybe never would have watched or hadn't heard of before. So. Uh, this episode, uh, I'm going to let you kick it off because I believe I kicked it off last time with uh, Safe. So uh, what, what are your picks this week? What do you want to talk about? Uh, which, by the way, uh, in regards to Safe, I've had like dreams about that movie. So thank you. Um, uh, th- this week, I'm, I'm going to start off because when we were talking about, uh, I believe on the last Where's My Burrito, we were talking about like the whole art and artist thing, the, the never ending question or whatever. And you're like, you know, you are really fucking with me because you're making me watch these Woody Allen movies and it's making me reckon with like, yeah, fuck as uh, on a talent level versus, uh, you know, who he may be as a person. So this week I did make you go f- for your second helping of Woody mm-hmm. Allen. Uh, and, and I actually think this one's going to play way better for you because it's not dependent on knowing his like political career, or his, his, his not political career, but his actual filmography or anything up until that point. This is uh, more of a look back, man. I picked Radio Days by Woody Allen. Man. Uh, right. How do you feel about this movie, guy? Because I did pitch it to you as like, I think, I think <laughs> now I got another shot at it. I think I got you with this one, maybe. Yeah, I, I mean, again, it, it's it's hard for me to unabashedly love anything that I see from him now. And it is just a, a question of it, it's not a choice I'm making. It's just right. like an icky feeling that I get. Because like I just read this account on Vulture where somebody read his book so you didn't have to kind of thing. And uh-huh. just the excerpts I read from it was just like, ugh. But, but neither here nor there. Like, unfortunately, that's just still very fresh in my mind. But luckily for me, Woody Allen is nowhere to be seen in this movie. He has only heard. Um, it's like, <laughs> oh, when I was a boy, uh, my uncle did something goofy. Like, so it, it's very much, and I think I, I sent you a message, and this is going to sound reductive, but I don't mean it in this way. It reminded me of like a Christmas story, just in terms of like the structure, just the random scattershot memories of a strange child kind of filtering his, you know, childlike perception of the world. But it's all about sort of centered around, and much like. Tampopo is centered around food, every little vignette there. This is all centered around the radio in some way or another. Um, So, which was an interesting kind of framing device. And once that kind of clicked into place, uh, it did get a lot more interesting. Um, Even the characters that started off as kind of uh, cartoons, like the Mia Farrow character, uh, became more of a human being as it went along. Um, So, yeah, no, I I very much enjoyed it. It was was delightful, aside from the lingering dark... Uh, right. Well, I think it's one of those things, that, and it's not the only one. I mean, I, I, I'm going to probably make you watch more, sadly, because I think I'm reckoning with it for the, for the first time. I haven't revisited a lot of his stuff up until I started recommending these because I was like, Ugh. but um, it, it's the one that I think kind of shows you this kind of joy that he can almost conjure up at will it's seemingly he did at one point he could make you feel these kind of like lighthearted feelings like i remember when i first watched radio days i just had a smile on my face 
because it's that kind of movie. In the same way that uh, Tampopo is, by the way, um, yeah. in a weird way. It's like I'm just l- smiling the entire time I'm watching this movie, which was such a needed breather after uh, Polytechnique, by the way. We'll get to all of that later. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, I, I feel like it's this really joyful thing. And Seth Green plays a young, you know, uh, yeah. Sheepheads Bay or Coney Island, somewhere around where you are, South Brooklyn, you know? Yeah, it's it's roughly in that area. I think they bring up 86th Street, which is literally like two blocks north of me, um, which was funny. But yeah, like they're, they're definitely fucking around in a lot of the same areas. Did Woody Allen grow up in this area? Because he's done more than one movie about Coney Island. Yeah, 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 he grew up around here. I think I think it's I'm pretty sure it's Sheephead's Bay that he grew up in. So it's just like one neighborhood over. Yeah. Damn, all the Russians plus Woody <laughs> plus Woody <laughs> and Bernie somewhere. I don't know where he was from. <laughs> but uh, no, but I I really do like it because um, it does spin off and like it's about this family, but then it ends up being about the celebrities of the radio. At one time we we you know now we idolize celebrity and that's television hosts and movie stars mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But back in the day these were those people you know like uh, there's just that couple who just talks about what we did on saturday night and they're just like right. eating breakfast and shit i'm like wow celebrity you know what i mean <laughs> like it's like nothing um but what i like about it the most is that even though it's all played for like lighthearted yucks and stuff like that there are still a couple moments that really get me i think like when when Woody kind of finds out his dad's a uh, like a taxi driver and he's like ashamed of it you know what i'm saying right. i think that's like this really beautiful he's moment like, i was proud of my father i don't know why he was ashamed i can't do a good woody allen and uh, you nailed it to me i mean <laughs> as far as bad woody allens go you're the top of the mountain man no but but i mean that and then honestly just the last uh lines of the film really were like oh wow he punched me right in the like sad bone at the very end where he's just talking like, about that roof set where yeah. all the radio people are like you know do you ever think that maybe uh we'll be forgotten or whatever like that well yeah. and then his final line he's like but year by year like the the picture com- the 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 sound comes in a little less clear like you know what i'm saying like mm-hmm. that even this thing that means so much will one day be forgotten but but he's not even sad about it i think what gets me about it is like it, there is just this joy that exists he's able to make you feel nostalgia but not in the the bullshit prescribed way that a lot of people are making properties now you know what i mean he puts you in a moment and he's able to get you to feel what he felt in that moment it's minor woody allen but it's one of my favorites man yeah i mean i i really liked uh i liked the like little details um some of the casting was funny to me like wallace sean being like the fucking superhero radio character and it's like and nobody knew he looked like this, but it's like he still has Wallace Shawn's His voice. voice. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't know. What do you mean? If you if you asked someone, if you asked a child to make a sketch based on a voice, it would be right. Wallace Shawn, of course. Because that joke works in a different way. If you have like a commanding voice, and then you cut to a Wallace Shawn right. type. And it's like, oh, that's the guy. But it's like, I'm Wallace Shawn. I'm a superhero. I hate I to say it. that Wayne's World 2 beat them to a joke, but there's a bit in Wayne's World 2 where there's like a, a really like sexy uh, voiced guy who is the DJ and it ends up being Harry Shearer, right? Mm-hmm. So you know what he looks like as opposed to his really deep voice. And so it's right. like that big juxtaposition. I'm like, wow, Wayne's World 2 beat you to a joke, Woody. Like they did it better than you did it. <sighs> Wayne's World 2 is really the, that was the movie, man. <laughs> 
don't know why we're not talking about that. You one. remember when they switched out and put Charlton Heston in a scene for like no reason, man? Fucking Wayne's World too. Anyway, back to back to radio. <laughs> Danny Aiello's in it, which I remember you telling me because I want to talk. I want to give some spotlight to actors really quickly who do do, do it. Yeah, I, I think I messaged you. I was like, uh, I'm only here for Danny Aiello, <laughs> and then I just said Danny Aiello. Like, really <laughs> like not just knows. Yeah. Um, and you know what? He was there. He did it. He was in the movie, and uh, I liked what he what he was doing. He played like kind of a a mobster type, right? Yeah, who a little to, bit. Who has to uh, kill Mia Farrow, but he it takes her to his mother's first, and she's like fixing her dinner or whatever, and like talking to her, and she's like, "Why do you have to kill me?" And he's like, "She's such a nice girl. She's stupid. Don't kill her." And he's like, "My, I got to." What I really like about that movie, too, is that unlike a lot of his stuff, well, he writes like a very specifically strong role for one character. Like that's their story in a way. This mm-hmm. feels very much separated by the vignettes and stuff like that. So you're able to uh, not have any one person really steal the show, but uh, just a collection of really good performers. Because like Julie Kavner's in it, which I've never even seen her in a live action thing. That was the first thing I was like, oh, yeah, shit. She plays, she plays the mom, yeah. yeah. Um, Seth Green barely in it in a weird way, which I yeah. thought he would be fucking around in it a lot more given that he is Woody Allen. But it's right. not really, it, it's, it's not more like Woody. a, yeah, it's more of a loose connection of like associations that he had from the radio and then the stories he wanted to tell from there. Yeah. It's, um, it's a sweet movie, man, for sure. Larry David is the uh, communist, right? Yeah, I like I like that. I wish he was in it more. I, I I hope there's director's cut somewhere with 40 minutes of that subplot because what are we doing? You have Larry David playing a communist and you don't exploit that. You don't shoot hours of footage. What are you doing? It's like a Terrence Malick film. Like he was originally the lead. <laughs> and he just he sees the movie. He's like, what's this it? shit? <laughs> That would be amazing. <laughs> he pitched it as a movie about a communist turning a little boy into another communist in 1940s Brooklyn. Like, all right, sure. Radicalizing a young Woody Allen as played by Seth Green. And then, you know, he got in the editing room. And that's, uh, you know, when you play Monday morning quarterback as a director, you're going to keep fucking yeah. yourself up. You know what I'm this saying? Just took another, another shape. Yeah, um, I enjoyed it for sure. Um, again, and I'm sorry, man. I, I wish I could give you a better, more nuanced review. But it's just that that Woody Allen uh, dark cloud hanging over this picture. Um, but again, uh, much more palatable given that he's not front and center the entire time. Right. Which is sucky because the next couple, he's he's back in it. So yeah. we'll have to figure that out. But anyway, man, I'm glad that you you enjoyed it to an extent. Um, yeah. You at least get why people like as a writer, you get why people like Woody Allen, right? You just you, your your problem is just now it's so hard to separate the cloud, right? Yeah, I, I get why people like him. Here, here's the thing. So far, based on all of the Woody Allen I've seen, because I was going through his filmography and I've seen more than I had previously remembered. Uh, but based on all the Woody Allen I've seen, I see the talent there, I see the perspective, but there's nothing so vital that I've seen so far mm-hmm. where it's like, I can't live without this perspective. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So sure. far. So yeah. if you can change my mind on that and make me forget all the other shit, like... Shit, man, I still listen to Miles Davis. Like, there are problematic people we all fucking engage with, for sure. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that, that is my challenge to you, I guess, sir. All right, well, that's my call to adventure, and I will answer the call. Uh, what movie do you want to talk about first, man? Uh, so I picked a, a fun little breezy romp called Polytechnique, uh, directed by Denis Villeneuve. Um, this is before he sort of broke through um, American 
you know, uh, mainstream cinema or whatever. Uh, no, no major actors of note in this, nobody recognizable. This is about a school shooting um, in Canada, Polytechnic University. Um, Montreal, yep. In Montreal. Uh, yeah, Christian, what, what did you think of this film? This is not something that I, I think is going to like generate a ton of discussion. It's a very short film. I, I just more wanted to sort of give you an example of a major director who we both really love, I think. Like, I would call Denny Villeneuve one of our best. I literally um, just said that to Dolores. I'm like, I yeah. don't know, man. Put a gun to my head. I don't know if I can name anyone who's firing as rapidly and at a higher level. Uh, when, when we talked about the Coen brothers had that run of like, holy yeah. shit, for five years. And that's kind of what he's been doing for more or less a decade at this point. So... Yeah, and this is not even his first movie. So, like, this is the earliest work I've seen from him. But I just kind of wanted to show you because... For me, it was a little bit revelatory too. It's like, oh shit, this guy's always been good. Yeah. Um, and this is like a really good, strong, early, low budget example of Denny. Yeah, I. Uh, the subject matter obviously is not gonna inspire like, oh, this is gonna be a fun watch, right? Because yeah. they kind of let you know. I mean, the opening scene is someone getting shot, and then we kind of go backwards. And you're like, right. oh, fuck. Um, it's shot in this monochromatic, stark black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the best black and white I've seen um, outside of uh, Nebraska. I think Nebraska had like a wonderful use of the black and white. Yeah. Uh, Alexander Payne's gor- gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, well, I think it's better than that movie, but what I'm saying, that's the only one that comes to mind. My sure. thing with black and white is I get really annoyed when people just like turn the color. That's not, you can't turn the color off of, of a thing and that makes a black and white. It's not about that. It's about right. contrast and shadows. You have, to, and you have to light for it. Um, yeah. You have to pattern like back in the old Hollywood days, you, you had to, do different kind of cut co- like there was a different academy award for black and white costumes versus right. color costumes like it's a different animal altogether um and to that end i mean uh i thought it was one of the most fucking beautifully shot things specifically because it's a snowy backdrop so you already have so much looking white that right. things appear like they're on clouds and shit like that you know like it, it's very very fucking interesting movie in terms of uh the subject matter, it's like, it obviously calls to mind Elephant, Gus Van Sant's movie, just sure. because uh, the, the, the structure of it, certainly, but the almost voyeuristic feeling you have where you're just kind of watching people. Uh, they make an attempt early on with like Valerie and a couple different characters to give them a little bit more like FaceTime so you understand them, what motivates them, especially Valerie because she bookends the story. But for the most right. part, they're kind of anonymous people. Uh, you said there's no recognizable stars, and I think that's to its like benefit yeah. hardcore because you start to buy into this i start to really think that i'm watching something happening in real time in a weird way like i know it's cinematic and then you know you're watching a film but at the same time you're absorbed to the point and the, and, and the film is shot and scattered in the edit by the way that yeah. it, it feels stream of consciousness and it's like when you think back to an event how you recall an event you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like, it feels very much like a memory of something where there's some skips and there's some gaps and eventually like, oh, yeah, that's right. And then we cut back and we see that thing. You know what I mean? Right. Especially something as traumatic as this. I mean, it's it's almost like somebody kind of going through a post-traumatic stress event um, in their memory, for sure. And uh, to be clear, none of the characters except the shooter are specifically real people. This is all like to respect the people that went through this, you know, right. uh, fictionalized. Um, but we should talk about the shooter too. Like we, we do see, uh, the shooter very early on after that kind of opening button of people being shot in the copy, uh, area of the school. Um, uh, him sort of like shaving, going through his manifesto, getting ready, uh, to do this very terrible thing. Um, and never at any point what I appreciated about it is that it never at any point 
because this sort of was a little bit before the sort of, uh, obviously after Columbine, but a little bit before the rash of shootings that we're seeing in America now. Um, it never mythologizes that character in any way. It, it always presents him as this very kind of pathetic, misogynistic um, sort of creature. But he made that point about the Olympics, Max. I think that justifies everything. No, no, obviously. I, what I like about it is that it paints him accurately without taking a side. I think yeah. that's the best part of it. Uh, the, obviously, these things are heinous and the, the, the crimes will stand for themselves. But, you know, they were giving him FaceTime. They're allowing him in voiceover to explain his ideology. It's then up to us right. to think it's bullshit or not. But they don't present it as you know, radical martyrdom. He never gets or a, a, yeah. He never gets a hero shot. You never Thank feel you. bad for him. You know, he's never made to look imposing. Mm -hmm. You always kind of have like him at like medium frame, just this person walking through a crowd doing something terrible. And obviously you make up your mind. I would hope that you would make up your mind to think that that's <laughs> I don't know, man. Thing. I don't know. <laughs> he's making oh, some no, points. He looks pretty cool, dude. <laughs> Uh, I mean, and it's a horrific thing. And anytime I see any movies like this, there's a part of me that feels icky because it's like, well, I'm watching someone's death for entertainment purposes, but this right. didn't feel exploitative. I mean, it's not a commercial fucking movie. It's not Patriot's Day, that Mark Wahlberg fucking movie, like where it's clearly, oh, the studios, is, let's put $80 million into this because it'll be a hit. No, this is like a $5 million movie made with unknown right. actors, shot in black and white. Uh, I don't know. It, it was the kind of thing that I think they were able to take a uh, obviously traumatic thing and turn it into like something beautiful, um, mm -hmm. which is weird that you would say that about a movie where people shoot people. Um, but, but even the black and white, like I think one of the most stunning shots of the film is spoiler alert. I'm sorry. Is this guy after he goes on his rampage, he kills himself. Uh, yeah. But, but his blood mixes with the blood of one of his victims. But again, yeah. the blood isn't, it's it's shot in black and white. You, the the absence of the red. It's not Sin City. We're like, here's a splash, guys. Like, no, it's. Oh man, that would have been a direction. <laughs> <laughs> what if he like was respectful the whole movie and then right at the end? <laughs> or maybe like the studio just like calls up Robert Rodriguez. They're like, yo, we need a second opinion. And he's like, I'm on my way. Here's the thing. I think put the blood in red. That's it. That's it. Genius. $150 million movie. No, I mean, like, it's, it's, it's great and it's a wonderful movie precisely because it avoids that. Because mm -hmm. it doesn't shy away and at the same time never obfuscates, uh, but, but is, is wholly itself. And I can see why people were shitty about it. I mean, like, we talk about people acting like people. I had a problem the whole time where some, like, he goes to the security guard and the security guard's like, are you serious, man? And then, like, why is no one pulling a fire alarm? Why is no, like, why aren't there multiple people? Well, this is an 89, so there's no cell phones. That's fine. But, like, why wasn't there more of an effort once the shots did start going off? You know what I'm saying? Like, that is annoying. But outside of that, I was totally into it, man. There was, like, nothing that took me outside of the experience. Right. But, I mean, like, and we, I don't know enough about the actual uh event that happened to say for sure how accurate this was but you do hear about these shootings and security guards just completely biffing it pretty much like sandy hook there is that whole uh thing with the security guard basically what was he hiding or yeah, something he hid, like that? Yeah. yeah while children died um so it's it's not outside of the realm of possibility that you don't really know what people are going to do until they do it uh which is interesting uh what i do like about this especially too is the kind of the jumping back and forth in time uh, is interesting for sure, like in terms of relating to nature of memory or whatever, but I like how sudden it feels. It feels like these people go from being regular people making copies in a copy room to being shot to running for their lives. 
to screaming. Like it's their whole world turns upside down. He really captures the nature of somebody's world turning upside down in a split second. And how yeah. one bad actor can kind of fuck everybody's life up. I was even going to say what I thought was really interesting about it was like, for the most part, for the majority of this movie, like you know that he's shooting people, but it's sort of off screen. Like for, I would say like, I don't know, three fourths of the movie, you don't see anyone really get shot exactly. Yeah. Um, it's all like kind of suggested and shit like that until uh, uh, so they play with time a little bit and you see that the women have been killed or whatever but then you find mm-hmm. out no not necessarily and then we, we see how how that scene actually played out and shit like that and that's the first time where they do like a close-up where she's like we're not even feminist you know what i'm saying and then like right. just fuck and i was like oh my god because he kept it he withheld it the whole time so when he did it, it was just this like ridiculously impactful moment in the same way. I mean, it's a stupid fucking comparison, but I always go back to like that dark night truck scene. Mm-hmm. It's like less is more. If you build it up the right way, like you can make something so simple, be so fucking effective. Yeah. Just have way, way, way more impact. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm glad you liked it. Uh, if I was never in any doubt, I was going to say this guy is just, uh, if you go through his filmography, I mean, Enemy yeah. is the one you could be shitty about, I guess, and I like Enemy, so I don't, I don't really get it. But this guy has just not made a misfire, and I think Arrival's brilliant. I think Blade Runner's brilliant. I, I, mm-hmm. Dune's gonna be awesome. I maybe not, but I trust him to do it. You know what I'm saying? So there's if never anybody any doubt could for me. do it at this point. Yeah, I mean, just somebody who has so successfully transitioned from low, low budget with this to high mega budget with Blade Runner and hopefully beyond. Um, yeah, the dude is just fucking in control of his craft. Uh, definitely trust him with Dune. Excited for that. Um, yeah, uh, going forward, uh, what else you got for us, Mr. Torres? Um, I got a little Italian film for you. Hopefully something I'll never have to find out for myself, but it's entitled Divorce, Italian style, Mr. McCarty. Uh, it was on Criterion Channel. It's one of these ones that you should you should watch. People talk about it. Fellini goes to bat for this guy all the time. You know, says like, hey, he's the fucking man. Um, La Dolce Vita fucking is in this movie, which I thought was really fun. Um, yeah. But yeah, man, I mean, what were, what were your thoughts on it? Oh, it was a it was a fun uh, goof and spoof, you know, as I like to say. As, as like considering the subject matter, that's pretty accurate. It's like yeah. not a bright story. I mean, to be clear, the the plot of the film is uh, Marcello Mastroianni. Mastroianni, yeah, you got it. Mastroianni um, plays plays a man who has a, a cloying wife and uh, decides one day that he really wants to to bang his underage cousin. So he, uh, through elaborate means, decides to set his wife up to cheat on him so that he can honor kill her and then uh, hook up with his underage cousin. Which, and- let's just jump in right now. Hold on. Honor killings. Okay. Uh, not, not the bad kind, but <laughs> the, the sort of better kind, which is like up until recently, and I think you still can in France, they they have this moral gray area where you're like, look, I murder is wrong, but you were cheated on. Like, fuck it. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it's the most incredible thing to the point where someone made a fucking movie based around someone trying to exploit the, right. the marriage laws. Oh my yeah. God. I guess, I guess you get a lighter sentence in this fucked up Italy. <laughs> I guess Italy has been fucked up for a while. Forever. Um, yeah. yeah. It's raised by wolves guy. It was created by wolves. It's like, yes, he did commit murder, but it was, you know, in the heat of the moment. She was cheating on him. So just, you know, give him a slap on the wrist. It's three years of minimum security or whatever the fuck. Which, by the uh, way, they, they show you the female version of that, not nearly as light on the sentencing, right. which I'm like, ah, oh, shit, he's got something to say here. Um, yeah, I mean, it, 
first of all, just in terms of dramatic irony, this is the weird thing because it's slightly dramatic, but mostly it's, it's fun. It's like a fun little breezy movie for the most part. Because yeah. uh, you get all these fantasies. He like wants to burn his wife in a cauldron and shit like that. Yeah. Like, it one sounds where he, horrible. He's, he's fantasizing about killing his wife, um, who's like a beautiful woman, by the way. They just give her a unibrow and like a mustache. A little bit. <laughs> Ugly. Unfuckable. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, um, he even uh, fantasizes about uh, putting her in a rocket and just shooting her <laughs> off into space. Um, if I had one criticism of the movie, it's not even a criticism. It's just I wish it had kept up that level of lunacy Sanity, throughout the yeah. whole thing. Right. Because like it kind of gets not bogged down, but it really once it clicks into place, like what his plan is, it really very much is about him like trying to set his wife up with an old flame of hers, this this painter, who's also kind of a piece of shit. Yeah, philanderer, um, piece of yeah. shit. Yeah. Carmelo. Carmelo. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, no, uh, fun movie. Fun movie. <laughs> well, dramatic irony, what I find interesting about it is like, somehow he kind of gets what he wants, although he has to go through these really dark fucking purposes, right? Uh, mm. Because initially he's like, okay, well, I'll catch them in the act and I'll kill them. But then he like studies a little bit closer and he's like, oh, but if they offend my honor, like technically, I can kill these fucking people. You know what I mean? Right. So he's like, I guess I got to make myself a cuckold. And that he like shifts in real time. He's like, all right, fuck it. I'm a cuckold now. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> and then, but it just like, but, but then I haven't seen this in a minute, but Carmelo's wife ends up coming right. And kills Carmelo. Isn't that what happens here? So now he's kind of forced to kill his own wife instead of like doing it the other way. Yeah. I don't fucking know, man. And then he, he gets a couple years in prison. He's like, it's not my favorite part of my life, but it's behind me now. Right. <laughs> like they just breeze right past that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> they do that in uh, Tampopo as well, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah. And then here we go. Dramatic irony. Then it's like, this guy is a piece of shit who basically sanctioned to kill his wife and then he gets what he wants. He's literally sailing off into the sunset with his cousin. Right. It, it does, it does get a little bit of a, a twist on that though, because his, his cousin, um, you know, he's like cuddling up to her, like kissing her or whatever, but then it like pants down to her feet and she's like playing footsie with the guy who's steering the sailboat. Right. Which, and it's like, man, you can't only you got what you want, but did you, Right. I don't know. I think I think it's one of those things. If you look at it, it's like maybe that story is like uh, old hand now, but specifically when it was coming out and, and if you when the paint was drying, Max, my favorite thing in the world to say, it's like Italian cinema was like in need of something <laughs> because mm-hmm. they were coming off this like really horrific time in history. And I think it was uh, really influential. Uh, yeah. And I like it. I mean, I think it's, I, you know, it's not the greatest Italian movie I've ever seen. I still think that's probably La Dolce Vita. But which which figures into this movie and is strange because <laughs> the lead character in this is played by a guy who's fucking in La Dolce Vita. Yeah, it's um, rough. It's rough. It like a weird meta. I, I was hoping that they would like acknowledge that, like show him watching himself on screen. <laughs> like I like that guy. Yeah, like it's good. <laughs> uh, but no, I'm glad you liked it, man. It's uh, it's it's. You know, Italian cinema, I think, is so rich, but it, a lot yeah. of it's buried. You know what I mean? And no, yeah, it's uh, definitely something I'd never even heard of before, um, and was very. Uh, it made me laugh a few times. So any any old comedy that can do that, you know, for my modern sensibilities, it's like it's got something going on. 
Right on, man. Uh, I have more of those in the pipeline because I do want to, you know, if you've seen the pattern in my list, I'm trying to go back to other cultures and find really cool movies. Next week, we're going to do a Czechoslovakian film called Daisies, which I think is awesome. Uh, and so it's really just fun. I, I'm trying to give both of us some education in these picks, man. Yeah, um, my, my, my pattern is just to give you less depressing things. So I'm just doing a half and half. School you shooting, know. you nailed it. Uh, but <laughs> Tampopo, uh, I, well, let's just get into it, man, if, if you don't mind. You set up this movie, sir. Tampopo, uh, Juzo Itami's Tampopo, I believe it's a 1985 Japanese comedy film. And the basic setup is that this woman named Tampopo has inherited or has this ramen shop, but has no fucking clue how to make ramen. Um, and she encounters this man named Goro, who's like this truck driver who happens to know a bit about ramen and right. kind of... Uh, agrees to train her or help train her in the art of making ramen and become the best ramen chef that she can. And it's not just about her, though. The movie is kind of uses that as a loose framework for a series of vignettes, basically about the joy of food. Um, it's almost all purely comedy. Uh, what did you think of Tampopo? I needed it uh after polytechnique i mean polytechnique isn't like overly bleak or anything but at the same time i'm just left and i'm like oh fuck man men are just evil and <laughs> uh so i needed something that would contrast with the stark black and white uh yeah. that was stamped on my heart and this movie really was it i wasn't ready for what this movie was because it is many things um yeah. And it makes me feel like, again, I just, I'm so ignorant to like foreign films. I just need to watch so many more. That's why I keep picking them because I just, this is delightful, man. I know we say that a lot, like, but yeah. it's a delightful movie. I smiled literally the whole time I watched it, much like I said with Radio Days, because uh, I mean, other than a few moments, it's mostly really light and fun. And then yeah. out of nowhere, it'll just give you like a couple scenes where I'm like, holy shit, this is a Western, man. Like when, 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 uh, when the guy first goes to her um, like restaurant, and they get into that fight or whatever and he slams his drink down and it cuts in like a Sergio Leone shot and I'm like whoa yeah. it's too about to fucking fight dude and I, and I suddenly realized they were grabbing a lot of like motifs from different cinemas uh, styles and shit and were repurposing them to tell the story oh yeah definitely intentional um the one of the lead characters Goro like even wears kind of like a western cowboy hat yeah. um he's framed like Clint Eastwood is in a lot of movies um but it's all like purely a lot of it for comedic effect um it's in part kind of paying tribute to the idea of movies itself. Like it opens with this kind of gangster character who shows up later in a theater talking directly to the audience and then Which yelling. Which in real time, let me tell you, I almost checked out. I'm like, I don't know about this. Why is he talking to me? And then he almost killed that guy. And I'm like, okay, well, like, sure. <laughs> like, because if there's one thing we could all agree on is like, don't open your fucking rappers in the middle of a movie theater, man. So he suddenly I was him and I understood <laughs> Uh, but then, yeah, you're right. He disappears from the film for a minute. And then it's kind of yeah. like, it's almost like fucking for a second. I'm like, I'm watching Japanese, a big trouble in little China in a way because mm. it's like truck drivers and they're just recounting stories and shit like that. I'm like, Oh, this is going to be interesting. You know? Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's an adorable movie because the, the main character, what I love about her and her relationship with Goro is that she is completely egoless. You know, in a lot of these movies where somebody's trying to get better, um they'll at first you know meet with some resistance they don't want to hear criticism or whatever but they reluctantly come crawling back like from the word go she's just like yeah i suck at this like help me out and then the rest of the movie is like this rocky training montage and she's <laughs> getting other people to like get her the best noodles and get her the best broth and this and that 
I loved it. Yeah, yeah the entire time I, I just couldn't figure out what movie I was watching because I'm like, no one's refusing any calls here. Uh, like, she's like, be my, be my trainer. And he's just like, all right. <laughs> like, kind of does almost immediately. And then, like, the thing that blew me away was just like, give me an honest opinion. And, and they, they give an honest opinion. And then mm-hmm. there's like a Star Wars fucking spiral transition. And uh-huh. then she's like, all right, cool. Like no dramatic effect. Like not, but what I'm saying is that's great because yeah. every other movie would have had her be offended. Like there's a scene later on with the fucking, uh, the other chef who gets like mad because right. he can't take criticism in the same way. Cause it's all about ego. And this woman is so egoless. And I was just blown away by that. Like, I was like, did they just Star Wars this? Like, and then they're literally doing a training thing. And it, by the way, it's shot so well and so funny and in real time. And the camera work is low-key impressive because there's a lot of scenes yeah. where it's pulling in to show cuts, pulling back out, resetting, moving on, on a, I assume, a dolly. Like, I don't know. Yeah. But everything was really, really precise. And then if that storyline wasn't riveting enough, some of the vignettes are, like, the funniest shit I've ever seen in my life. Um, yeah. I mean, like, one, the one I like the most because I've just been there is, is the first one, I think, which is, like, the yeah. young guy who's being shit upon by all his other work people. And he right. just fucking orders them under the table. Like, that was the right. classiest fucking order I've ever heard in my life. Because it's all these stodgy Japanese businessmen who all order the same fucking thing. Like, yeah, I think I will have the salad with the walnuts. And then <laughs> and he's the just like... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And then this guy's like, oh, tell me about the, you know, the sushi platter or whatever he says. Um, And yeah, I I love that. And it does kind of get into the interplay between, you know, the experts and the enthusiasts, you know, and I feel like it it very much is about like kind of a a satire on expertise in a weird way, because like you cut from there to that woman in the restaurant teaching women how to you should never make a sound and this and that. And then they cut to this fat American just having a fucking ball going to town on a plate. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think it's like fucking delightful and playful. Even if some of the vignettes don't fully play, like they're over quick enough for it to, to kind of work sure. regardless. Yeah. 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 I, um, I think my favorite might be the mother who is like dying on her <laughs> deathbed and the family's like wants to keep her alive just long enough to make more food. And then she dies. Yeah, no, that was pretty wonderful. I like the shopkeeper one a lot. That cracked me up. But because uh, it's almost like a Looney Tunes, like it's literally like, and now a Porky Pig presents in the middle of this fucking movie. Uh, and it cracked me up so much, man. I don't know. And that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's a, um, it really is a movie kind of about people banding together. Like, cause the, the bad yeah. guy in the fight in the very beginning ends up kind of coming through and like they, they rename the, the restaurant and it's a, it really is this like really beautiful story of someone achieving something. But what I liked about that too, is it's not even necessarily about uh, her passion. She wasn't like, yeah. I was born to do this. No, her motivation is just her kid. From what yeah. I can tell. <laughs> she wants to have a successful business. And she'll and, do in her mind like it's not even about like just do enough to be successful it's like if i master the craft the rest comes and i thought that was a really beautiful thing because i think what like yes really great chefs are artists but i think too often we just think about regular people like not who make food oh that's not art but it's like no there's this there's this balance like art is kind of like um you know it's beautiful but you can't eat it it doesn't give you nourishment right. and i think that's the difference is to make something that's beautiful artistic and also serves it has utility yeah practical purpose yeah 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 so yeah. i don't know man i really dug it i did i fuck i need to watch more movies that's what i've realized but that's what this is all about yeah as we go through i'm just 
ashamed to ever call myself a movie buff, buff because I'm just like, damn, there's like so many fucking things I have. I was seen. calling myself a movie buff like 10 years ago when I right. hadn't seen anything. Yeah, I've seen three out of five films from Quentin Tarantino. I'm kind of a movie I'm buff. A it's like, get, buff. get the get yeah. the fuck out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Ask I me. <laughs> yeah. But you know, uh, as they say, uh, the older you get or the, the more you realize how little you know, something like that. I don't, uh, well, probably fucking that I don't think they say it like that. <laughs> Whatever this is. It goes to prove my point. I don't even know the quote. So, Well, there, there you are. Uh, uh, Max, another, another successful edition of the Quarantine Movie Club. And I think uh, you said it. We've, we're 20 movies in and I feel so much better. It's hard work to watch a lot of movies, but it's the best kind of hard work. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. There's worse things to be. I could be digging ditches and shit, you know. So right. Instead, you're just sitting, sitting down and paying attention to something digging emotional hours. ditches in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll try to keep those uh, emotional ditches as uh, shallow as possible. Um, I got two more picks for you on this uh, list of six that we have, and then we'll be ready for another list of six. Yeah, yeah. Two well, which well. two are we doing next next week? Uh, so next week, I've got a rough one and a not rough one. Uh, I've got uh, Jennifer Kent's The Nightingale, Ooh. and I've got Playtime by Jacques Tati, uh, which I have never seen, but I hear uh, some people say is one of, if not the best comedies of all time. And Jacques Tati is somebody I've been sleeping on for a while. I've been meaning to watch him, so excited to see how that plays out. Right on. Uh, those sound uh, interesting, and I can't wait to watch both of them. I have a French film by Jean-Luc Godard. We did Breathless. Wait, we didn't do Breathless. We did Cleo from 5 to 7. I said Breathless a lot in that. Well, we're going to do that one next week. Uh, Band de Parte, a band of outsiders, as it's known in the States, uh, which I hear is great. I've never seen it either, man. It's going to be an education for us. And then the other one is a Czechoslovakian film that's nuts, and I really like it. It's called Daisies. Uh, and it, both of those are on the Criterion, man, so you have easy access to both. Uh, nice. And that goes out for everyone else. What are your two films available anywhere? Plot, Playtime is available on Criterion. The Nightingale is available on Hulu. Awesome. Um, unless it's been taken off. It should be on Hulu. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. All right, man. Cool. Well, another successful uh, quarantine movie club, and we'll be back next week, right? Bye. Uh...